Hi, this is Ron Oral, and uh, this is the Activist Podcast. And I'm here with uh, Arnaud Adler, the uh, founder of Engine Capital. Arnaud, thanks for taking a little time to meet with us. Thank you. Engine Capital is an activist investment fund. It was founded in, in 2013, so four-year old activist hedge fund. Um, can you tell me a little bit about your activist philosophy? Sure. Well, first, thank you for having me. Um, so, well, first of all, Engine doesn't only do activist uh, investing. I would say half of what we do is activist uh, focus. The other half is just plain value uh, plus a catalyst, special situation investing. Um, on the activist front, uh, we are very focused on uh, this idea of uh, fix it or sell it. So the idea is to try to find situations where there are multiple paths to create shareholder value, mm -hmm. not just one. So some people are more focused, for example, on just trying to find situations where you can push the company for sale. Mm -hmm. And that's fine, but we like to have multiples where to win. Mm -hmm. So... That has an impact on the situation we, we find or we, we, we look for. So we first f want to find companies that are good companies, good assets, strategic assets, assets that someone is going to want to buy mm -hmm. because that's one part, the, sell, the selling part. The other aspect is fix it. So not only it has to be an att attractive asset, we also want the asset to be underperforming so that there are as many levers um, as possible mm -hmm to uh, optimize. So let me give you a few examples. Um, there is uh, you know, the operational lever. So can the company be run better? Could the margins be better? Can mm -hmm. the profitability be improved? Mm -hmm. um, there is a capital structure lever. Now we like to go Stock after buybacks, dividends, those so, kind of things. So, so correct. So, uh, so first, how is the balance sheet structure? You know, we like to find companies where there is, you know, excess cash, for example. Mm -hmm. So we can go to the company and 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 talk to them about adding some more leverage, reducing your cost of capital. That should uh, expand the multiple. It's also a situation where they don't have a lot of leverage. Well, we actually we actually tend to prefer to find situation with little leverage because then we can suggest to them to add leverage. Mm -hmm. And if we go after a company that has already three or four time leverage, you know, what are we going to tell them? To go and take five time leverage? There's not that much, uh, you know, there's not so much uh, more that you can add. Right. On the other hand, if you go after a company that has, you know, excess cash, you know, one time leverage, mm -hmm. where the balance sheet is not optimized, then you can ask them to increase leverage, you know, conservatively, but there is a lever to optimize value. Mm -hmm. um, same thing on carbon capital, just another lever, which is capital allocation. Right. So what do they do with the cash? So let's say that they have a history of making poor acquisitions. If we can switch that to instead, you know, buying back cheap stock, that will create shareholder value. Mm -hmm. uh, there is a governance lever. Right. You know, we, look, we look at the quality of the board. Uh, we look at the, the way compensation is structured. Now, that can also create shareholder value, especially how, do you, how is management incentivized uh, to run the company. Mm -hmm. uh, so we like to look at this, and we have some views as to uh, how management should be incentivized. You know, in terms of, in terms of uh, the board of directors, you find, um, you know, there's a few things that uh, I always look for as potential candidate issues that activists could look for when they're targeting a company in terms of the board. You know, over-tenured directors, over-boarded directors, and then maybe, you know, would you... Uh, would you be focused on the compensation committee if you felt like the executives were not um, were not performing? Uh, didn't, you know, their compensation was over, over it was over, it was too high or not connected to the performance. Right. Of the right. So you know, we, we look at the different committees. We, we look at the board overall. Um, you know, sometimes we find situations where board members have been on the board for you know more than twenty years. Wow. That tends to be too long. We find situation 
where uh, board members have like no relevant experience to the business. So that can be uh, you know, a red flag. Mm -hmm. So looking for the situation where by putting a couple new people that have uh, deep relevant uh, uh, experience in the space can add tremendous amount of value. Okay, super. So tell me a little bit about, uh, maybe give us an example of an activist situation that you were involved in and how it ended up. Um, you know, I mean, I can talk about a couple of uh, you know, recent examples. Um, Quickly, one of them is CST Brands, okay. uh, which is a convenience store retailer uh, based in Texas. Uh, was actually a spin-off of uh, Valero a couple of years ago. And uh, we looked at the company for two reasons. One, we like the industry, which is consolidating. Mm -hmm. So again, back to this idea of fix it or sell it. You know, we knew that the asset would be attractive to some of the big players because there are significant uh, synergies uh, when one of the big guys buy a, a smaller target. Mm -hmm. um, at the same time, the company was underperforming its peers. Margins were, margins were below peers. Same store sales were below peers. Um, the company was putting money to work at low return capital. Mm -hmm. uh, they, they had a ton of real estate, and so there was a strategic question. Should they own the real estate? Should they separate the real estate? Um, that's another situation where there was basically on the board, except for one person, no one else had relevant uh, experience in, in the business. Uh, management wasn't incentivized the right way. So what did you guys do? So the way we typically approach this situation is first we send them uh, we send the company and the board a private, lengthy, detailed uh, letter highlighting basically uh, the two paths to create shareholder value. Basically, the message is you're undervalued, you're undermanaged, the status quo doesn't work. Uh, you can either fix the company in the public market or you mm -hmm. can sell the company. And at Engine, we are fine with both options as long as you maximize uh, risk-adjusted returns. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we start to have a dialogue with them. Uh, we ended up in that situation asking for board representation. Um, they declined. Mm -hmm. uh, we ended up going public with our letter. Uh, and over the following two weeks, we heard probably from you know, most of the top shareholders who basically mm -hmm. agreed with the view and um, agreed that the company was underperforming, agreed that the company was undervalued, mm -hmm. and you know, some, some felt the company should be sold, some felt the company should be improved in the public market, but everyone agreed that the status quo wasn't working. Mm -hmm. uh, what ended up happening, um, so eventually the company, so we ended up nominating uh, a slate of directors. A minority slate? Co correct, the board was staggered, and oh, so right, you could okay. only, uh, right, okay. I believe in that case, you could, you could appoint four board members, okay. so we, uh, nominated four people. Uh, shortly thereafter, the company came to us uh, with uh, a proposal to settle. Mm -hmm. uh, as part of the settlement, the company would also announce uh, that they would launch strategic alternatives, mm -hmm. uh, and they uh, offered to add uh, one board member. Mm -hmm. uh, we had some discussion. Eventually, we settled. Uh, we added uh, two new board members. Mm -hmm. uh, the company announced that they were going to look for strategic alternatives. And six months later, the company was sold to, uh, to one of the uh, consolidators. So that's okay, one well, example. That's I noticed uh, you have uh, some st interesting statistics that since you were launched in 2013, you've already settled with 11 public companies, that I guess was one of them, and put 20 directors on, on boards. That's a quite impressive achievement for a, such a uh, you know, fund that's been around for four years. To talk, maybe uh, if you wanted to give another example or like talk a little bit about you know, what situations you launch a proxy contest. It sounds like that was one example of where you launch, a, you know, decided that a proxy contest was necessary. Sure. At least threatened the proxy contest. Sure. Um, look, 
when we find this situation where you have a company that's undervalued, undermanaged, uh, when we have a view as to what could be done, uh, you know, whether operationally or strategically to create shareholder value, we will approach the company. Again, typically the, the, the idea is to approach them privately first by sending the board a, a letter uh, outlining our thoughts. Uh, we will then, depending on the situation uh, and depending on the reaction, mm -hmm. uh, we may ask for board representation and that could be someone from engine, it could be someone uh, not from engine. Mm -hmm. uh, or a combination. Or a combination. Yeah. And um, if we can't agree on terms, we will sell and mm -hmm. if the company declines, like it was the case with CST, we will then typically go the next step, which is to go public with, uh, you know, with our views. Mm -hmm. uh, and you know, typically, uh, shareholders tend to agree with our views because we, te we tend to target underperforming companies in the first place. Mm -hmm. So shareholders tend to, be tend to be frustrated. And so when someone comes with a rational plan to either fix it or sell, or sell it, typically you know, we get consensus from shareholders that something should be done. So that will then put pressure on the company if they hear from other shareholders that there is some discontent uh, that tend to increase pressure on the company. So then may they at that point may decide to sell. Mm -hmm. uh, if they don't, the next step is to nominate. Uh, have, you, have you ever been in a situation where you've had to uh, take a proxy contest all the way to the finality of the vote? So at the prior firm I was, the prior firm I worked for, uh, we did that. This Crescendo Partners correct. with Eric Rosenfeld. Yeah. Co correct. We ended up uh, taking a uh, proxy fight to the vote you know, a number of times. At Engine, we have always been able to sell prior to that. Okay. Uh, there's one situation at Engine where we had to go as far as uh, filing a preliminary proxy, mm -hmm. uh, at which point the company sold. Mm -hmm. But typically, we are able to sell um, you know, either very early on without even having to nominate. Mm -hmm. Typically, we have to nominate, uh, and at that point, we sell. Um, you know, so so far we have not had we have not had to go all the way to a vote. Which you know, frankly, if we can sell and get most of what we want or what we need without having all the way to to the vote, that's that's my preference. Okay, I wanted to talk briefly about a, a uh, proxy contest that did go all the way to the vote, and then some. And that is uh, Nelson Peltz's, uh, you know, the well-known activist investor Nelson Peltz of Trine Fund Management, and his blockbuster campaign this year at Procter and Gamble, the largest stock market capitalization company ever to face an activist investor. I think it was 260 billion market cap. You wrote an editorial about uh, that campaign. The editorial was written about a month and a half ago. Um, and it was uh, in a period of time when the contest had ended, it was clear that it was a very close contest. I mean, it was essentially 50% or 49.9% you know, for one side and 50.1% for the other side. And they were in a process where they had the preliminary vote out. It actually came, the preliminary vote had Nelson Peltz up by 0.0016%. And then we were all waiting for the final vote. And, you know, there was talk of challenges and Delaware court and all this. And so you wrote an editorial that in that period where there was still no uh, given from Procter & Gamble, from Procter & Gamble's CEO, uh, David Taylor, and um, uh, uh, to give Nelson a, a seat. And you wrote uh, an editorial where you, you said, you know, um, you know, just uh, Procter & Gamble, give it up. And uh, so anyways, I just wanted to, uh, if you could talk a little bit about what was your, what, what motivated you to write that? Sure. Um, well, look, I was following the situation. I think that this proxy fight uh, was silly to begin with because here you have 
a sophisticated investor. With a lot of operational background. With operational yeah. background, who owned, uh, I think, north of $3 billion of stock. And his ask wasn't very aggressive. He was basically asking for one board seat. I don't think he was even asking to replace someone. I think he was asking to be added to the board. So not a very aggressive ask from someone who has uh, you know, a good reputation as a board member. He even offered to let the person that he had that would have been moved out back right, on the right. board. So it would have been expanded the board Right, so, well. so that's why yeah. he, he, was not, he was not asking to replace someone, he was asking mm -hmm. to add someone. Uh, to, he was asking to be added. Um, and the board fought him so hard, and uh, I think combined they spent, you know, maybe close to $100 million combined in terms of uh, expenses. So this whole thing felt silly. Uh, they had two proxy solicitors, Procter Gamble did. Right. And, um, and so then, it, uh, so at first it looked like uh, the uh, person, person lost the vote. Then during the recount, it, lost, it, looked, it looked like he had won the vote. And then the company then started to make challenges. And at some point, I just said, look, enough is enough. You know, at the end, it doesn't really matter whether Pelz has you know, 40,000 shares more than the incumbent or 40,000 shares less. The bottom line is half of the shareholder wants Pelz. And we're talking half a huge, the, huge yeah. market cap. Oh, we're talking like you know, a billion votes. Right. Pelts are so, you know, so effectively, votes. shareholders have spoken. Half of them want uh, Pels, and half of them want the current board. And my thought was, look, it's time to sell this as opposed to keep fighting. Yeah. And so, like on one level, you wonder adding one person to a board. It actually they ended up, uh, uh, they ultimately ended up putting Pels on the board. But they brought another guy, and so it's a thirteen-person board. So he's one person on a thirteen-person board. You've been on many boards in the past. Tell me, you know, uh, if you're one person, a 13-person board, do you have a lot of influence? Or like, how do you, you need to get at least six other directors to support your, your campaign, to, uh, your, your suggestions for it to have any sort of impact. So, you know, why not put him on the board? Yeah, I mean, look, I, I think that, you know, as part of the deliberation, you know, diversity helps. Mm -hmm. And I, um, uh, my guess, and I, I've never met Nelson Peltz, but my guess is, as given his background, he's going to add to the boardroom. Uh, is he going to challenge the CEO? Is he going to ask, you know, questions that, you know, others may not? I, I believe so. Um, so I believe as part of increasing the diversity of the board, having a professional investor with capital market experience help. Mm -hmm. And so uh, is he going to have an impact in the boardroom? Absolutely. At the same time, is he going to be disruptive, which is, that was the claim of the company? No, I very much doubt so. In order for him to pass anything, you know, any motion, you need someone else to, uh, to second the motion. For any decision to be made, he's going to have to convince at least uh, six other board members or seven other board members to get anything through. Mm -hmm. So my guess is, uh, you know, is he going to challenge the status quo? Yes. Is he going to you know, disturb or, uh, or have a, a negative impact on the turnaround? I very much doubt I so. feel like the next big fight will be the subcommittees, right? Like uh, which subcommittees will they let Nelson Peltz on? Like there's one on the one that focuses on their R&D spending. He wants them to reevaluate that. If he gets on the, that subcommittee, or even maybe the compensation subcommittee, that could affect you know, David Taylor's pay. Um, that could be an important situation, or that could have a problem. Uh, so, right. um, yeah, yeah, look, I mean, you know, if, whether he has to be on the comp committee or on the strategic committee, all of this could have an impact. Uh, yeah. But I, I think the most important for him is to be on the board. Okay. So let me just ask you this last question. Um, uh, yeah, you had suggested in your co in your column that most boards have good intentions, but.
but that the directors are complacent and you know, maybe they, they need a, uh, some sort of outside catalyst, a, a new blood, you know, somebody to come in and challenge them. Can you explain that a bit? Like just what, did, uh, what was your, your thinking behind that? Um, look, my experience on boards is that typically uh, board members uh, very much like to go along. Mm -hmm. uh, it's like a little bit of a social club. And when things go right and the CEO does a good job, that's fine. Yeah. But when, when you have an issue or when the CEO doesn't do such a great job, you need someone, you need the board to challenge uh, the situation. Mm -hmm. And often boards that have, you know, again, a habit of uh, trying to get along, um, boards can sometimes have difficulties doing that. Mm -hmm. And that's where having a, a shareholder uh, that, owns a significant stake and who very much care about the outcome uh, and the performance of the company, uh, having someone like in the room uh, can have a positive impact in terms of challenging the status quo, uh, in terms oh, yeah. of, br term of bringing the tough discussion that needs to, be to, to, to happen. And I found that the outside shareholder that comes in the boardroom can have a very positive impact uh, in terms of having these discussions. Okay, great. Arno, thank you very much. We'll be watching your activism at Engine Capital in the months to come. Thank you so much for taking the time. This has been Ron Oral, and this has been the Activist Podcast. Thank you very much.